last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you. Brendan, I leave for Ireland in less than a week. Wow. And if there's one thing I know about Ireland that I've heard, I've never been, that it is warm, it's very bright, very little rain, not green at all. Nope. Pubs are hard to find. So this will be an interesting trip. Yeah, I, I can confirm all of those things. I have heard that it, that's that's what people say. Yeah, about Ireland. Yeah. If you have any recommendations of places to go in Dublin and uh, Cork, two places I'm going to go, uh, then please please let us know. The only thing though is I can't possibly top the trip to Ireland that Trey Mancini and now fiance Sarah Perlman made. Because, well, not with that attitude. Well. They just got engaged on the Cliffs of Moher, Brendan. It's pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. There's it no is. way I'm going to have a better trip than that. Just literally impossible. Well, you never know. You could like find a leprechaun or something. That'd be cool. Do we really want to play gold. into stereotypes there, Brendan? Yeah, I'm going to. Oh, my gosh. If you're insulted, I don't blame you in our chat. Please let us know. Um, speaking of Trey Mancini, it's a little bit of housekeeping. We were supposed to do this podcast about Trey Mancini and discussing his future with the Orioles. However... The Orioles made about 75 roster moves over the past week. So we thought, might as well push that Trey Mancini conversation down the road. Yeah. Because it, it felt like if we started the podcast with all the roster moves that the Orioles made and then tried to get to our conversation about Trey Mancini, we would probably be left with about two minutes of yeah. Trey Mancini talk, and we need more than two minutes of that. So. Yeah. A lot of roster moves to discuss here. Not big picture. This is going to be a small picture. This is going to be a petite seven. This will fit in a five inch by seven inch frame. Uh, maybe even a wallet size. This this podcast. Yeah. Maybe even. Yeah. That's how that's how small picture and small potatoes Ireland Ayo. this podcast will be. We're going to be looking at these roster moves and kind of what it means for the future. Real quick, one more thing I want to talk about. We did our free agency bracket last week and if you haven't heard it or you haven't watched it go back and watch it listen to it saw some comments uh because we asked afterwards if there were any players we should have included and saw some about josh harrison somebody suggested we include the second baseman shortstop in the in the bracket he just he was, was a contender he was on the bubble yeah. um i'm looking back at you know I convince you to take Danny Duffy off the list because he's a lefty. That you did. I think he's going to sign a one-year deal. I am. Um, I'm kind of regretting convincing you. Yeah, I, I can't believe that my opinion was was swayed so far by that. I think I put Anthony DiSclefani on the bracket you instead did. because DiSclefani is a right-handed pitcher, and you're like, they're not going to sign another lefty. And I was like, I bet they will. And well, then, we'll see. We'll see. And they might. I'm not saying they will sign. They could, but I think that. Somebody like that. Somebody right. like a Danny Duffy who will sign a one-year deal coming off an injury. Also, uh, guys that we didn't mention that were on the in that category of guys that will sign one-year deals. Maybe a Chris Archer. He yep. was on the bubble. Chris Archer, James Paxton was on the bubble as well. Some bigger names that could sign one-year prove-it deals 
They just need to stay healthy and have a, yeah. a decent season. So maybe Baltimore is the place to do that. Right. Guys who are coming off of a lot of injuries. And right. one of the guys that we had in our bracket who actually immediately after we finished going live on our show last week, Tucker Barnhart, who was our eighth-seeded catcher, got traded. Uh, so he is totally out of the contention. Yep. Uh, and then Andrew Heaney just signed a deal with the Dodgers. Yeah. Sort of a surprise move. Andrew yesterday. Heaney was, I believe, the five seed in the starting pitcher bracket. So he, he was firmly in the bracket, lost to Matt Harvey in the first round. Yeah. So plenty of guys that, that over the coming weeks, we'll see guys on the bracket fall out. Marlon Gonzalez is still alive. We'll see. We'll see if he, he was our winner. Uh, all right. Let's get to some of the, the roster moves because there are about a million. And if your head is spinning, so were ours for the past week. Let's take a look at the 40-man roster as it stands now. It is at 32 players current, currently. They have zero catchers on the 40-man roster. Uh, and the big moves over the past week or so. Headliner, Hunter Harvey. Placed on waivers and he was claimed by the Giants. Uh, Marcos Deplan, Chris Ellis, Pedro Severino, and Connor Green all cleared waivers. And they selected free agency. Nick Shufo and Spencer Watkins cleared waivers and were assigned to AAA Norfolk, but they are now due for minor league free agency. The Orioles then reinstated four guys from the 60-day IL, Keegan Aiken, Jorge Mateo, DJ Stewart, and Jorge Lopez. And then yesterday, they claimed right-handed pitcher Brian Baker off waivers from the Blue Jays. So 32 guys in a 40-man roster. Of course, they have until November 19th to add guys to protect them from the Rule 5 draft. We expect the Orioles to make at least one pick in the Rule 5 draft, probably two. So they have eight open spots currently. That leaves them, if they don't make any moves from now until November 19th, they can add six guys to protect from the Rule 5 draft. And I would imagine from now until November 19th, the roster is probably going to stay around 32. Whether that means they cut guys and claim some guys, I think they're still some players on this Orioles 40 man that we are both a little bit surprised have not parted ways yet. Uh, DJ Stewart is still on this roster. He was just reinstated from the 60 day IL Brooks Krisky and Joey Crable two bullpen arms that have survived the cut on bullpen guys that we really didn't think they would. So those are three names that I think uh, could possibly be on the way out for the Orioles. And then of course they're going to be, protecting guys going up to the Rule 5 draft. I think they'll probably still want to keep two spots open just to have the flexibility if somebody falls in the Rule 5 draft that they really like, like a Tyler Wells. You want to have the opportunity to, opportunity to draft somebody there. So I think this roster will probably stay right around 32. You mentioned Crable and Krisky. I thought both those guys were candidates to be DFA'd, to be placed on waivers because of their age. Right. I mean, Crable is going to be 29 next year. Krisky's going to be 28. Meanwhile, Marcos Deplan is 27, I believe. And Hunter Harvey is going to be 27 next year. So I thought just for that aspect that they might go with pl placing those guys on waivers before they place the guys on waivers that they did. And especially Chris Ellis was a, a big surprise because we talked about how he made himself valuable to the Orioles in the last month of the season. But... The big headliner right now, let's talk about Hunter Harvey because this was the most surprising move that they made of the past week. 
He turns 27 in December and, of course, was a former first-round pick eight years ago. And what a tumultuous career he has had. And for a guy that has been in the organization for eight seasons, it's crazy to think of how little major league experience he got with the Orioles. Yeah, and I've, I've seen Orioles fans be pretty upset about this move that Hunter Harvey was placed on waivers and then claimed by the Giants. But there's, I think, a few things to keep in mind when you're looking at Hunter Harvey. First is the fact that he was claimed by the Giants, who had one of, if not the best records in the National League this year. They had the best record. The best record in the National League this year. So they they picked, their waiver order was 30th. So they were very dead last in the waiver wire. So they got through 28 teams, 29 including the Orioles, and it got, he got all the way to the Giants. So the very right. last team that could have claimed him did claim him. Which means that 28 other teams decided that they did not want to claim Hunter Harvey, and he gets all the way to the team with the best record in the league. And also, Hunter Harvey is 27, and he has played 26 total games since 2019. We keep hearing about the potential with Hunter Harvey but we've heard about this potential for years and it has yet to come to fruition at the major league level in any sort of significant way. Well, he's showed flashes. Very small flashes. Very small flashes, but flashes nonetheless. And you could make a case that if there's any room for, in in the majors, for a guy like this who just needs an opportunity, just needs to be healthy, it is the Orioles. Right. And I think that's the surprising part of it which is if you are looking for a team that has enough flexibility in their bullpen to give a guy like Hunter Harvey a chance, it's probably the Baltimore Orioles. But his numbers have really not been good. His best season in the majors was 2019 when he pitched in seven games. He had an ERA of 142, which is a great ERA. His expected ERA was 358. His fielder independent pitching was 369. His strikeouts per nine were great but it was a really small sample size of seven games. Over the last two years, he has been, his strikeout numbers have gone down. His strikeouts per nine was just over six in 17 and a third total innings. And in AAA this year, he had an ERA over eight and was only healthy enough to pitch in 10 games at AAA Norfolk. So yes, yes, the potential is there with Hunter Harvey, but it has to show up at some point. It does, but I think that people were hoping that the leash would be a little bit longer because this guy, obviously you hear about the potential and you, you know, once you are eight years or so removed from being taken in the first round, the potential doesn't really matter as much anymore. However, he did show flashes at the big league level. I mean, those those strikeout numbers went down, yes, but he was pitching, he pitched eight and two-thirds innings each of the last two years. So, like, that's the equivalent of one game. So I, right. I, I wouldn't look exactly at, you know, that's not nearly a big enough st- sample size to say, well, his strikeouts are going down. But the thing that would concern me is the velocity did go down each of the past few years. So he, when he made his major league debut back in 2019, his fastball, four-seam fastball velo was 98.4. 2020 went down to 97.4. 2021 went down to 97.1. And that may seem like a small dip, However, when you're a big league reliever, that dip can seem quite large the more you use your four-seam fastball. And for a pitcher who's going to have to rely on his four-seam fastball, uh, that is an issue. Right, and that's his calling card, is the fastball that can just blow you away, and that is what is intriguing about a late-inning reliever. 
But for somebody who's entering his age 27 season, for the past three years, I think Orioles fans have been saying, all right, this is the year for Hunter Harvey. This is the year he stays healthy. He establishes himself as the closer of the future for the Baltimore Orioles. It sh- we keep talking about that potential, and we keep talking about that potential, and then it doesn't show up because he is not healthy enough to make any sort of significant contribution. I, while I agree that he hasn't been healthy enough and he hasn't cashed in on that potential, I think the question is not whether, not is looking at this not in a vacuum and saying, aren't there guys you would rather DFA yes. before you get to Hunter Harvey? Yes. Because he still has more potential in my mind than a Joey Crable who's, entering his age 29 season was claimed off waivers in the middle of the season by the Orioles and in seven and a third innings with them this year had a four nine one ERA. So, I mean, wouldn't you rather keep Hunter Harvey over somebody like a Joey Crable or a Brooks Krisky who had a very inflated ERA this season with the Orioles in a small sample size? Oh, I absolutely would. Looking at the Hunter Harvey situation in a vacuum, it makes sense at this point that the Orioles might just have seen enough in terms of his injury history. And if you're the San Francisco Giants, if you get a healthy season of Hunter Harvey, congratulations, you have found the anomaly in his career. Like, the injuries are the thing that's consistent. It is not the staying healthy. But, yeah, but I think the the point of the rebuild is also not just to get these top prospects, but to, to see if they can find these anomalies in guys. You take chances on these guys that you know have a low shot of working out, but you hope that they hit their 5% ceiling. And for Hunter Harvey, I think he still had that in him. I, I agree. I think he still has that potential. And like you said, looking at it in terms of the context of the Orioles' bullpen, I would rather have Hunter Harvey than Brooks Krisky. I would rather have Hunter Harvey than Joey Crable. I completely agree with you there. I would rather keep Hunter Harvey on the roster than those guys. But... On his own, I think the move makes sense. And personally, I am not as surprised by it as a lot of Orioles fans seemed to be in terms of his talent and potential and all of those things. The injury history just does not give you enough confidence to solidly put him anywhere in your bullpen. But I also wouldn't solidly put Brooks Krisky or Joey Crable solidly on the bullpen either. So I would rather have Harvey than those two guys but I still think that it makes... I'm not going to say it makes sense because I don't really... I still don't agree with the move. I'm arguing about the fact that it is not all that surprising and that he might not be all that consistent going forward. I'm still surprised. I think this move looks a lot different if he doesn't get claimed. So while he did make it all the way to the end of the waiver wire, he still got claimed. And anytime you put a guy on waivers you have to be fully prepared to let him go. I mean, it, you can't, it's, it's oftentimes teams try to sneak guys through the waivers, but they know in the back of their head, there's a very good chance that he could get claimed and then he's out the door for nothing. So the Orioles had to be pro- fully prepared for that opportunity. To me, they might've been trying to sneak him through waivers considering they're trying to cut all these guys down and they thought maybe nobody would claim him. But I give the Orioles, I, I mean, I don't want to, I give them the benefit of the doubt here in in terms of I expect them to know that it's a very good chance that he could get claimed by a team. But I think that Orioles fans have been burned before by pitchers leaving the organization and having good careers with other teams. 
in the past 10 years. Jake Arrieta, Kevin Gaussman, as of as of late, going to the same team, going to the Giants, and them worrying that something similar might happen because he goes into another organization and he might unlock something. So if he cleared waivers and the Orioles, even if they brought him back or not, I think that it was it would look a whole lot better to Orioles fans. But what concerns them is that they look at a great player development organization in the Giants and they say that team, they think that team can do something more with him and they must have seen something in him that the Orioles did not see in him and and maybe they're going to still unlock something. Whereas if he cleared waivers, they could say, oh, all right, the, the league has spoken on this guy. The Orioles aren't the only ones that don't want him. Well, the league has spoken on Hunter Harvey for the most part. I mean, he got to the best team but in the league in terms of waiver order. But what is what is that team done? What they have taken they guys have developed pitchers very very well and they've yeah. But they, I would also argue that I think the Kevin Gossman situation is a little bit different. Where Kevin Gossman's issues in Baltimore were not centered around injuries; they were centered around Kevin Gossman just not pitching all that well. Well, you did talk about Hunter Harvey not pitching all that well too. Well, yes, but I think the larger issue with Hunter Harvey is clearly the injuries. Yes, I think the potential on the field is still there. I'm not going to point to the numbers and say he doesn't have it anymore because the sample size is so small. Yeah. I know I looked at the numbers a little bit in terms of his ERA at AAA, but that's only 10 games. Right. And he's only appeared in 26 total games in the major leagues since 2019. So it's not really fair to look at the major league numbers for Hunter Harvey and say that he doesn't have it anymore. But it's the injuries that are the much yeah. larger issue. And like I said before, if the Giants can somehow keep him healthy, that's the anomaly for Hunter Harvey. He has not been healthy throughout his eight-year career with the Orioles. Right. That's the bigger issue. Kevin Gossman was just, he just wasn't pitching all that well in Baltimore. And then he wasn't pitching well in Atlanta. And he wasn't pitching well in Cincinnati. And then he goes to the Giants that figure something out with him. Right. And the only thing with that comment about, you know, the, them finding the anomaly, the Orioles have to be prepared to accept the fact that he might still hit that. No matter what the percent chance that he stays healthy next year, they have to be fully understanding that he could. And and so the thing with Kevin Gaussman, I totally agree. I think that oftentimes, first off, that wasn't a trade that Mike Elias made that was made in the Dan Duquette era. But I think that that... That move, you know, is often looked at by Orioles fans as the Orioles didn't get enough out of this guy, but so did two other organizations that are pretty good at developing pitchers as well. And Kevin, it's more on Kevin Gosman for figuring, credit to him for figuring out something in his own game, right. as well as the Giants figuring out something and unlocking something in him. But it's not just Gosman. Anthony DiSclefani, Alex Wood, Johnny Cueto, these guys that had, although Cueto was a great pitcher in years past, but... These guys had great years in San Francisco this past year, be part in part because of their system and in part because of how they were used. So if Hunter Harvey can stay healthy, that's a huge if. There is a chance that he is in a, a very effective reliever for them right. next season. Oh, absolutely. If, assuming he's, he makes it through the entire winter on their roster. I mean, they've done it with other guys. I think uh, they've taken several relievers last year there's a reason that they had one of the best pitching staffs in baseball and had a very good bullpen last year and 106 games or seven games because they were able to unlock something in these guys so 
the concern I think for Orioles fans is even if there's a small percent chance that he stays healthy, it's worth taking that risk because we've seen 2019, he looked like he could be the closer of the future. It was only seven games, but he looked, he was outstanding in that small sample size. Gave up one run in like seven innings uh, back in 2019. One run in six and a third innings. And then the ERA was not ridiculously high. It was He gave up, it pitched eight and two thirds innings each of the last two seasons and gave up uh, four runs in those in eight and two thirds sample size each time. So tiny sample size, but you saw flashes. And I think it feels like his Oriole story isn't finished. It feels like there, there was something left on the, there was some meat left on the bone there. And there was a story that a chapter that was yet to be written about him in Baltimore. And it's just a shame. It's great that he made it to the big leagues with Baltimore, but it's just a shame that he never got to make it to the other side and get over the hump of all these injuries. Yeah. And I've made my Hunter Harvey case in terms of why it makes sense to let a guy like this walk But the surprising part to me and the part that doesn't make sense is when you put it in the context of the Baltimore Orioles, which you need to do in this case. I would rather have Hunter Harvey than somebody like Brooks Kriske or Joey Crable, and I would rather have Hunter Harvey than somebody that you might end up protecting to keep on the 40-man roster. Like, are you really going to be able to justify keeping an Ofelki Peralta instead of Hunter Harvey? I don't think you can. And I don't think you can justify keeping some of these other fringe bullpen arms on the roster over Hunter Harvey. Because like you mentioned before, Paul, if you're going to put somebody in a situation where it's just, okay, you haven't stayed healthy, but you need to be in a situation where you can prove it and you can finally have the season that everybody has been waiting for, it seems like the Baltimore Orioles are the perfect team to do that. Yeah, and that being said, this could still be fine. He could still... You know, not for him, but if he he could still suffer injuries, he could still never make his way back. He could come back with the Giants and not be very good. He could be placed on waivers in a couple months and slip through waivers again and become a, a free agent. And either the Orioles bring him back or he signs with another team. There's still the, the likelihood is still he won't achieve great heights with San Francisco, but it's worth the risk. Is I think the bigger point here. Yes. Um, Another guy that the Orioles placed on waivers that was the second most surprising move would be Chris Ellis because we saw him pitch effectively as a starter in the last month plus of the season for the Orioles. He is a little bit older. He's 29 years old. Uh, He was claimed off waivers from the Rays back in August. He made six starts, 25 and a third innings, had a 2.49 ERA, 5.7 Ks per nine. The only thing is he never went longer than five innings in any one start. And he is a guy that made it through waivers, wasn't claimed by any team. So it's pretty clear that the Orioles understood the league stance on this guy. And they understood the idea that he could get through waivers and they still have a chance to sign him back on a minor league deal. Yeah, a 215 ERA is good. An expected ERA of 541 is not very good. So the advanced stats do not like Chris Ellis very much. However, I thought for a few reasons that the Orioles were going to hang on to him. One, I mean, he the Orioles won in five of six of his starts. So I thought, I thought at the very least he could either contend for a spot in the rotation or be a swingman or a long reliever. And he was also 
from the Tampa Bay Rays, which the Orioles have really liked to do. We know that the Rays have been very good at developing pitchers over the last few years, and it seems like a pretty effective Orioles strategy to this point has been to claim guys that the Rays let go and hope that with their time in Tampa, they have unlocked something that can make them a much better pitcher than they were before. So I'm a little surprised because it seemed like the Orioles strategy was get guys from the Tampa Bay Rays, see if you can continue that development somehow. Yeah, and I think in this case, the only thing that was working against, the big thing that was working against Chris Ellis is, weirdly, the fact that he was a starter. Because I think that at least the Orioles can look at we keep bringing up Crable and Krisky, but they're they're going to be the... Yeah, sorry to Joey Crable and Brooks Krisky. <laughs> I feel like we keep dunking on them. Yes, uh, but those guys at least were used out of the bullpen this past year, whereas Chris Ellis was used as a starter. And the Orioles are going to have plenty of starting candidates going into next season. They're going to return John Means, Bruce Zimmerman, Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells, Mike Bauman. They have... They're going to be adding Kevin Smith or you know, going to be having plenty of internal candidates to start games. And do you need a guy that can not get through more than five innings as a starter? He's, his shelf life with this team is probably not going to be very long because at some point you're going to say, we'd rather see what we have in Kevin Smith or Kyle Bradish than we would in Chris Ellis starting these games. And the fact that he can't go very deep into games and they don't trust him to go very deep in the games places more pressure on your bullpen. So I think that they would rather use that roster spot on a bullpen guy that they feel like can, you know, make a spot start, but is mostly going to be relied upon in relief. Yeah, and to that point, that's why I was very surprised that the Orioles let go Marcos Duplan. He had a 450 ERA, but this was during his age 24 season. His first year in the big leagues, I thought he looked pretty good, Marcos Duplan. I thought he showed some good flashes throughout the year. He allowed one run or fewer in 19 of his 23 appearances. 14 of those were scoreless. He had two bad outings where he allowed three earned runs against the Blue Jays and the Angels, and that really hurt his ERA. But this was his age 24 season, his first year in the bigs, and he looked good. Why do you let go a 24 going on 25 year old bullpen arm if you're the Orioles. The the thing that I would say about this is it's not like he was a highly touted prospect. No, but bullpen up. arms are not often highly touted. True, but he was not really even a prospect. Weirdly enough, he did pitch in the Futures game. So we I give him credit for that. He appeared with Adley Rutschman as the other representative from the Orioles organization in the Futures game, even though he has never been part of their top 30 in terms of the prospects. It, look, he was picked up off waivers from the Tigers back in December 2019. He's been on sev in several different organizations. And while he did show flashes this year, he and Chris Ellis both cl cleared waivers. So the league said, we're, we're not willing to use a roster spot on either Chris Ellis or Marcos Duplan. So the good thing is, while, while I understand you know the, the concern in letting Ellis and Marcos Duplan go, good thing is about these guys, unlike Hunter Harvey, you can just sign him back in in free agency if you'd like to. You know, you can wait until after the Rule 5 draft and sign him to major league deals, or much more likely, you just sign him back as a minor league free agent because they like being in Baltimore, they like staying here, they know they have an opportunity here, and you can make a good case for them to return. So 
them not getting claimed by other organizations makes it so much easier for them to just come right back. Yeah, Marco Saplan feels like the kind of guy that you would try to sneak through waivers and then re-sign to a deal right. with AAA because he's only going to be 25 years old next year. So I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that that is the plan for the Baltimore Orioles because I really liked what we saw from DePlon last year. Right, and so that you know that makes it a whole lot easier. And I, I, I do wonder if the Orioles, with Harvey, to get back to him real quickly, thought that they could get him all the way through waivers. I bet they could because he is going into his age 27 season and he just had an ERA over eight in AAA. So I'm pretty sure the Orioles thought that they could get him through waivers and then just put him back in AAA Norfolk. And the funny thing is he was claimed by such a good team that you'd think that in theory, the teams that are better have fewer roster spots to spare. Right. On projects or on question marks. You know, they are, usually their roster is pretty filled up with guys that are proven big leaguers. I think the Giants are in a unique position because a lot of their players are going to be free agents this winter. So guys like Alex Wood, DeSclafani, Kevin Gosman just came off their 40-man roster. So maybe when they sign a Kevin Gosman or they sign an Anthony DeSclafani back, um, they, you know, Hunter Harvey is the the cash the roster casualty there. And maybe they're hoping that they can sneak Hunter Harvey through on their own and get him to their AAA affiliate. Right. Yeah. All, all kinds of interesting questions. Yeah. Um, all right. The I mentioned it earlier, but the weird roster quirk, <laughs> the Orioles have zero catchers on their 40-man roster right now. Yeah. Zilch. They're going to have to sign two catchers more than likely? Yes, I would think. I... I wouldn't be surprised if Pedro Severino is re-signed on a much cheaper deal than he was going to get offered in arbitration. Maybe that's a move they're hoping to make because Pedro Severino, again, cleared waivers and elected free agency, so maybe they want to bring him back on a minor league deal. Maybe they sign somebody to a major league deal probably for not that much, a million or two, I would guess. Yeah, so they, they initially placed Austin wins on waivers. He cleared waivers, elected free agency. They did it with Severino, who was due a uh, projected $3.7 million, I believe, in arbitration, according to MLB trade rumors. He sneaked through waivers, and he is a free agent. And then they did it with Nick Shufo. I think of those three, Shufo is probably the least likely to come back. They could sign him to a minor league deal and invite him to spring training. But in terms of the major league roster... They could. The funny thing is, the Orioles could very well go into next season with the same two catchers. They could just sign Austin Wins and Pedro Severino back to minor league deals or Severino, maybe a million and a half or a million dollar major league deal, and then just go into camp next year with both those catchers. Or if they want to, they could totally start fresh at the position going into next season. I think it's pretty likely that at least one of those guys comes back. I don't think they start yeah. the season with two brand new catchers. I think either Severino or Austin wins probably comes back on a minor league deal and the Orioles go from there. Probably. I, I would say if probably. I, if I had to guess. The thing is, these are low leverage moves because right. we talked about on our last podcast, whoever is going to sign with the Orioles as a catcher this offseason is going to have his job taken by mid-May. Probably the latest, assuming Adley Rutschman is healthy and ready to come up. So he will be your starting catcher by the middle of the season next season next year and going forward. So 
you know, if they re-sign Pedro Severino or Austin wins, it's a low leverage move here. Right. It's a it's a low impact move. Um, all right. And then the final move, the most recent move that the Orioles made that we should talk about, Brian Baker turns 27 next month. Uh, he is a right-handed pitcher. Brendan, what else can you tell us about Brian Baker? He's pretty good. He made his major league debut last year. He had a scoreless inning. I think he gave up one hit, struck out one. He was great in the minors last year. He had a 131 ERA in 39 games at AAA. He had a whip of .847. That's encouraging. Yeah. Came over from the Blue Jays. So the Orioles, of course, have that number one position in terms of waivers. They used it on Brian Baker. Be interesting to to watch the careers of two 27-year-olds next year, assuming that Hunter Harvey stays with the Giants. It's a big assumption. Who will have a better 2022 season, Brian Baker or Hunter yeah. Harvey? A little surprising that the Blue Jays let a bullpen arm go that had that good of an ERA in AAA. Works out for the Orioles. Yeah, he's got a mid-90s fastball, upper 80s slider. He's got two minor league options left, which I think is big. HH versus BB. Two alliterations there, Brendan. Yeah. That's what we were all thinking. That's where my mind is going. All right, so all that, that those roster moves leave the Orioles Whew. with eight open spots. They can add six guys, and I think on our next podcast, we are going to dive into... I'm going to try to do this podcast from Ireland next week. We'll see how this goes. Uh, going to try to dive into who could take up those roster spots for the Orioles and which prospects will end up being, being protected and which will not. Yes. Um, all right, let's get into a couple prospects that are down in the Fall Instructional League because, Brendan, the Orioles' Fall Instructional League in Sarasota is loaded with, or Fall Instructional Camp, I should say, is loaded with top prospects. And the most important guy who is there right now, the most exciting addition to that roster, is Heston Kerstad. Yeah, Heston Kerstad, we really hadn't talked about all that much when we talk about the future of the Orioles outfield or the future of the middle of the lineup because we just didn't know if he was going to get back to baseball shape, how he was going to come back, what he was going to look like, any of those things. So the fact that Heston Kerstad is back participating in baseball activities and says that he feels like he's back to his old self is huge because I know we haven't talked about him much, but this is still the number two overall pick in the draft from a few years ago. He is incredibly talented, and if he somehow gets back to the trajectory that he was on, even if it is with a year or so delay, he still figures to be square in the middle of the Orioles' future outfield conversation. He could be the right fielder of the future in a few years. Hopefully, if he gets back to a minor league schedule and starts playing, maybe he starts at Double A Bowie this year. Yeah, talk about a guy that has a ton of potential, but we just have not seen when right. talking about injuries because his injuries are non even non baseball related quick refresher. He was taken with that number two overall pick back in 2020 and uh, signed his deal pretty quickly, but did not appear with the Orioles in any capacity and did not have a minor league season last year because he had myocarditis. And so he has not spoken to the media until this past week. Um, and now he's said he's ready to hit live BP. He's feeling like himself again. He sounded upbeat. He sounded positive. So let's take a listen to what Heston Kerstad says his plan is going forward and what the deal is with his health at this point. 
I'm feeling really good at this point. I've finished, went all through the steps of progressing through my rehab and getting back to full strength and hitting and currently about to hit some live uh, into this week. And I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like my old self again, swinging it well. And, you know, after a full off season and getting a lot of reps in and getting back in the weight room, I'll be ready to get after it come spring training. That is awesome news. Awesome news to hear. And for an injury that is not baseball related and frankly is pretty scary. It is it, anytime you have issues with your heart and you're told to stop working out, to stop doing normal activities, that can be especially scary for someone who is 21, I think now 22 years old. And it has been a trying year for Heston Kerstad. So to see him smiling and to hear him talking with the media openly about what he's been through and now talking about coming back and already mentioning spring training is is a great thing. Yeah, and he talked about it in this press conference as well. I mean, he's a 21-year-old athlete who's one of the best players in all of college baseball. You just don't think that something like this would happen to a really healthy kid right. who is towards the peak of his athletic career. And in terms of taking care of himself, there is are probably very few people that were taking care of themselves better than Heston Kerstad was. Yeah. And it's just something that is unavoidable. And it, it, it totally makes sense as a 21 year old healthy kid. You just don't think that something like this can happen to you. Yeah. I mean, he, it's, it's something that he said he didn't even know. The doctors don't even know exactly how he got, whether it was COVID related or just something genetic. It is something that, you know, obviously doesn't have to do with how much shape you're in or anything like that. It, it's, right just a, a freak kind of thing. So um, that was great to hear. And then he also talked about the kind of the difficulties that he has gone through over the past year plus now as he dealt with the diagnosis and he was put on hold. So he, he has a great perspective on what his year has been like. You know, it hasn't been fun, honestly. It's, it's not anything you ever envision happening along your plan and journey to your goals you have set, but you know, it's things you just got to face and you got to take head on. And we all faced obstacles here and there through our careers. And this happens to be one of mine. And, you know, every day I just take it one day at a time and it was a challenge getting through it for sure. And, you know, now that we're on the other side, I'm, I'm really happy to have it in the past and ready to move forward. You know, listening to him talk about this, it reminds me a little bit of how Trey Mancini has talked about the past year plus that he has gone through and uh, different conditions, different health uh, conditions. Of course, Trey dealing with stage three colon cancer, and this is uh, very different from cancer biologically, but the fact that both of these guys had to be put on hold, both of these guys, baseball lifers love playing the game and had to put it aside and focus on their health and stay away from the field and stay away from working out is, uh, you know, gives both of these guys uh, a perspective that they had not had before this. Yeah, and it has to be a similar mindset, too, in terms of the acceptance of what is happening, because like, like we said before, you can be at peak physical performance, and in both cases, it's just one of those things where you can do whatever it is to take care of yourself, but this is just unavoidable. It's just something that happens to you, and you have to 
deal with it and accept it and figure out what you're going to do for your own personal health and your career as well, considering your career is based on being in peak physical shape. And Trey Mancini, to continue that comparison, talked about how he never doubted from the moment he got that cancer diagnosis that he was going to come back and he was going to play again in the major leagues. Kerstad had never played in any professional game when he was given that diagnosis and had not appeared in any capacity with the Orioles. And naturally, as with any player who undergoes any kind of serious injury, uh, there was some doubt, and he acknowledged that uh, with the reporters the other day. Now, there was obviously little doubt on how I'd come back. There was never if I would come back. The doctors were reassuring this is short term and we're going to get you back on the field. It's just a matter of when. But through this time, let's focus on your health and we're going to get you healthy. And then after that, you'll focus on how you play baseball. And, you know, anytime you go through any uh, injuries or setbacks, it's it's natural as a human to wonder, you know, am I going to be the same? How will I be? But honestly, I think I'm going to be better for it. You know, mentally, I went through a lot through all this. And I think it's going to give me a little bit of a edge in my game. And I have a different perspective on everything now and uh, more appreciation for playing the game and being healthy and just being able to do what I love every day. It's also interesting to hear him talk about how doctors essentially told him he needed to rest and be home when he felt physically fine. He didn't feel like there was anything wrong with him, but it was dangerous to continue playing or to continue working out because of something that was going on that he couldn't even feel. Yeah, and it's it was really cool to see, too, just his passion for baseball and the passion for the game. He talked about when he stayed home that he would pretty much just watch film, watch baseball, just even though he couldn't work out and he couldn't participate in baseball activities and he couldn't be with the Orioles, he was still head first into baseball as much as he possibly could, which is really cool, especially out of the number two overall pick from a few years ago that you are hoping is going to turn into a star on your team. It's great to see just how invested he continued to be in the game, even when he couldn't be participating in the way that he wanted to. I think down the road, Maybe once we start spring training, we can start talking more in depth about where he fits into the Orioles' plans long-term. But in the short term, assuming he is fully ready to go and there are no hiccups from now until spring training, where do you think he could start his major league career? Or not his major league career, sorry, his pro career. I think he could honestly start in double-A buoy. I think he... Is a, I mean, he was a very well-established college bat. He was one of the best power hitters in college baseball, one of the best contact hitters in college baseball as well. So I think it's fair to say that his bat probably translates very quickly to the minor league level. And I think double A is not an unfair place to put him, especially considering his age. I mean, we could see Colton Kowser, who didn't have quite the same power as Heston Kerstad, but Kowser's bat has translated incredibly quickly to the minor leagues. I think Colton Kowser could start at double A next year as well. So I think Kerstad could potentially join him. I think it'll be interesting to see once he gets to spring training, his conditioning level, because literally has been told to sit on the couch for large portions of the past year right. and a half. He can't do anything and you, you can't blame him for if he's not in full baseball shape. I could see this if he is fully ready to go and, and the doctors give him the all go throughout spring training. I could see this being a situation where they start him out at a low level with the ability to bring him up very quickly. 
You yes. know, he, maybe he starts out at uh, Delmarva, single-A Delmarva, and plays 10 games there and hits 500, and they say, all right, go up to Aberdeen, plays 15 games there, hits 300, and they go, all right, go up to double-A Bowie. So right. I, I think that they could ease him back into to this, and it'll be interesting to see if they if they give him any time off, if they say you're only going to be a regular outfielder one out of every three games, uh, every other game you're going to DH, or you're sitting two games a week um, just to see how he is with baseball shape because there's no reason to push him. There's no reason to, uh, you know, try to, you worry anytime you have something like this about re-aggravation. So you don't want to push him beyond uh, what he is capable of. However, the potential is there. And as one of the more established college bats in that 2020 draft could very well adjust quickly to pro baseball. Yeah, this this conversation feels very Trey Mancini-esque in terms of easing him back in and not wanting to push him and how often is he going to be in the field and maybe he DHs more. So I think it, it probably is a smart idea to DH him quite a bit because his bat is good enough to be a solid DH in the middle of any lineup, especially if he starts in the lower level of the minors. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the plan. I also wouldn't be surprised if it's the kind of thing where they just check in on him, see how he's doing, see how his conditioning is, and kind of take the plan as they go in terms of how often he's playing the outfield because it's still a prospect. You still want to develop him. You still want to hone those skills defensively as well. So they're probably going to want to get him in the outfield as often as they can. Yeah. But obviously you don't want to push him. Exactly. Uh, So I saw a comment as well on YouTube as we're live on Facebook and YouTube. uh, James saying uh, his recovery is encouraging. He expects him to start at Delmarva. We shall see. And it'll be just good to see him in spring training in any capacity, assuming that uh, he is there and he is ready to go. Yeah, I think talent-wise, he'd probably be good for double A, but I wouldn't be surprised, like you said, if they start him a little bit lower. Um, One other guy who is back with the Orioles and is now appearing uh, in their fall instructional camp, that'd be Carter Baumler, who is the pitcher that they took, I believe, in the fourth round of the 2020 draft in that shortened draft where they only had six pitcher or six picks and they only took one pitcher and unfortunately he suffered uh, an injury that led to Tommy John surgery within about a month of him being drafted he is now back with the Orioles he is now said he is going to be ready to go he is he feels fully healthy fully recovered from that Tommy John he's already in the Orioles top 30 prospect lists uh, was an overslot guy, if I recall, yes. along with Kobe Mayo in that 2020 draft. So just another pitching lottery ticket that the Orioles spent a mid-round pick on in 2020. Yeah, and that's the important thing to keep in mind there is he was an overslot guy, just like Kobe Mayo. Probably Mayo and Baumler, both second, third-round talents, and they get drafted much later than that because they had to go over slot. And again, that's the benefit of drafting Heston Kerstad is you're able to get some other really good prospects. So we've already seen what Kobe Mayo has been able to do as an overslot guy, and hopefully Carter Baumler is the same way. Yeah, so we'll see if he can fully recover as well. Anything else that you want to touch on? Any comments that uh, you think we should touch on here, Brendan? Yeah, one comment on Facebook asking if the Orioles were going to DFA DJ Stewart. I feel like we've already dunked on this group of three enough today but I think the three guys that are probably still on the roster bubble as of right now DJ Stewart Brooks Krisky Joey Crable I think if the Orioles want to add more than six or seven guys from 
uh, the minor leagues that they need to protect before the Rule 5 draft. I would look at those three names in terms of guys that could be waived. And then if they want to claim anybody either, I think those three again. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, outside of those three, I agree that they're kind of on the bubble. I don't think there's... I think everybody else pretty much is locked up. Yeah, I would agree. I think maybe Kelvin Gutierrez is like the only other guy. Everybody else who pretty much was on the bubble is gone already. Right, exactly. And now that they have activated everybody from the 60-day IL, you know, the the roster is pretty much set um, going into the Royal Five draft. And next week, we will talk about, assuming I can get my internet to work from a hotel in Dublin, uh, who the Orioles will add to their... 40-man roster, some names to throw out there now to start to get to thinking about. D.L. Hall, he's, I think, going to be added. Uh, Robert Newstrom, Adam Hall, Taryn Vavra, Kyle Bradish, Kevin Smith, Cody Sedlock, Ofelke Peralta, Patrick Dorian, Blaine Knight, Caden Grenier. Probably only adding six or seven of those guys. Maybe seven. Yeah. And Six is probably more likely. There are locks, and then there are a lot of fringe guys. There are a lot of guys that had similar type seasons in 2021 that are around the same age, and it's just the Orioles determining who is going to get taken in that Rule 5 draft, who other teams value, and who is worth holding on to. Yeah, can't wait to get into our long Adam Hall discussion. Yeah, it's going to be... Fighting all of Orioles Twitter. We're going to be, yeah, roll up your sleeves for that one. Thanks so much for commenting along and watching along on Facebook and YouTube. Of course, you can watch watch it back on those platforms, and you can listen to it on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks so much for Bobby Blanco to for producing today. Uh, uh, Brendan Mortensen, at Brendan Morty is your Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will catch you next time.